You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. just like that we're back college football all year round imagine that yeah we do it here this is the late kick extra podcast i'm josh pate and if you will do one thing subscribe to this podcast i'll keep it free for you forever and i will waste no further time we will dive right in check did you subscribe did you go check if you subscribe okay you're subscribed good let's dive into today's mailbag i wanted to get to our buddy chris here uh, he's talking about what everyone's been talking about but i get the sense that number one a lot of you are very confused about lawsuits and about NIL and about the future of uh, collective bargaining in college sports, and you really just want to watch the game on the field in the fall. Uh, hey, secret here. Don't tell my employer, but I do too. I hate talking about this. So what I want to do is I wanted to hit this because Chris asked everything that needed to be asked, and I want to break this down on sort of a, a macro level of here's the stuff you don't need to waste your time on. Here's the main thing. Like, what's the main thing? So Chris said, when this new college football world happens, where employees collectively bargain all that, a couple of questions. Will recruiting still be a thing? Will being a student still be a thing? Will we see SEC and Big Ten bottom teams like Vandy or Rutgers get kicked out and leave? All right, so there, I could do two hours on this. But I'm not a psychopath, so I'm not going to do two hours on this. So a lot of you are following this closely. Infinitely more of you just know it's going on, but you don't really care. You just want someone to tell you, hey, when it's over, you know, dust settles. Let me know where college athletics are. So here's the very, very, very quick version of what you should actually care about. Right now, obviously, there's a lot of upheaval and no one knows um, what the future of anything is. And that's been the case for several years now. There are a couple of things going on. Number one, you've got the NCAA being threatened by their own member institutions because those member institutions are like, hey, you guys wrote these rules, but you keep changing the rules. And then, you know, we do something because we don't know what the rules are any given day and you're overreaching. So you need to get back in your place. And then the NCAA is like, well, hey, we're supposed to make rules. If you don't follow the rules, then we need to punish you. And then those member institutions are like, uh, yeah, but we don't really respect you anymore, which leads to normal people saying, well, if they don't respect the NCAA anymore, maybe the NCAA is going bye-bye. Okay, that's over here on one street. Then on the other street, you've got class action lawsuits being taken against the NCAA. There's a big one. It's House versus NCAA right now. You don't need to know the details. You don't need to go research it. Here's all you need to know. A bunch of former players are looking around and saying, well, wait a second, now I may have played in 1997 or 2005 or what have you, but if the courts are saying that NCAA rules are violating antitrust laws today, 
then weren't they always violating the law? Therefore, if the courts are saying an outside linebacker at Georgia should be able to do this, this, and that today, and the NCAA can't get in his way, shouldn't I have been able to do that if I was an outside linebacker at Georgia in 2009? Well, the answer may be yes. And therefore, a lot of former players have entered into a class action lawsuit. That is the big one, immunity. Uh, That's the big one. That's the one everyone is terrified of in the administrative world. That's the one that has everyone's attention. Uh, because they view it as an existential threat, because the damages are in the, I think, like four-plus billion dollar range. I believe the entire annual budget of the NCAA is like a quarter of that, just to let you know how serious that is. Like, they are suing the NCAA and the Power Five conferences. And if they win, they're on the hook for more money than they got. All right, that's on the second street. And there's other stuff going on, but those are the main two that I want you to know about. So go back to Chris's question. Chris asked, hey, when we get to this new world everyone thinks is coming, is recruiting still even going to be a thing? Is being a student still going to be a thing? Or will these players just be pros, basically? And number three, he said, will these conferences like the SEC and the Big Ten be kicking lesser teams like Vandy and Rutgers out, you know, to maximize profit? Well, that all depends, Chris, to me, on how this lawsuit shakes out. Because I want you to think about this. There's a major difference in that thing going all the way through and gavel hits table. And yes, Power 5 leagues and NCAA, you owe these folks over $4 billion versus an announcement coming in June that a settlement has been reached. Because here's the thinking right now. A lot of this is very much up in the air. But here's the thinking and here's what I think you need to root for. What I think you need to root for is a settlement here because it sounds like that settlement and the Power Five Leagues paying out a portion or a fraction of that number could also come with an agreement on some terms in the here and now and in the future. So right now we're looking at how untenable things are and we're looking at the SEC and the Big Ten and the ACC and whatever and you're saying NIL's out of control, the portal's out of control. Why? Because there are no guardrails. Why? Because it's illegal to enforce them. Why? Because it hasn't been collectively bargained. These aren't employees. Well, what if there is an agreement? What if there's a settlement in this case? And then part of the settlement is, on one hand, we pay a ton of money. But on the other hand, we finally get some federal help. We finally get some antitrust exemption that you know we've been lobbying for as the college football administrative state for a long time. But the feds look at us and say, okay, if we're going to give you this antitrust exemption, You have got to agree to revenue sharing with those players. Those players have got to get guaranteed money for being scholarship athletes. Now, Chris, if we get to that point, and that's still a long way down the road, but if we get to that point, and that's the point I'm hopeful we get to, by the way, that's the route I hope this goes, that's the one I've kind of been hinting at for a while, then all of a sudden we enter into a world where if you're a wide receiver at Purdue or if you're a wide receiver at Ohio State, you know that you are guaranteed a certain cut because you are a Big Ten scholarship athlete. And by the way, I don't think that money should come from the university. I think you should be entered into an agreement, whether it's employment or otherwise. I think your your agreement and what you sign on to should be with your league. That way you avoid different labor laws in different states and you're just locked in with your league. As an SEC athlete, as an ACC, as a Big 12, as a Big Ten athlete, you're guaranteed a certain revenue share of the media rights deal that conference has entered into just because you play in that conference. Then, above and beyond, I think NIL would exist still 
But in this new world, I think NIL has to be very, very strongly policed. Conferences, if not the NCAA, have to have the actual authority to be able to enforce rules. They have to be very clearly defined, not like they are now. They have to be very clearly defined. And in this future world, if I know I'm getting $50,000 per year, or maybe I get 40000 as a freshman, 60000 as a sophomore, and it elevates all the way up to six figures per year if I'm sticking around year three and year four. Maybe I'm incentivized to stay on the same roster. I don't have to, but maybe I'm incentivized because there is added revenue for me to make if I stay with one school. Maybe there's a minimum when I sign my scholarship papers of two years that I have to stay at a school before I leave. And that's all been collectively bargained in this new world. If that's the case, then I think NIL still exists. I think for the biggest stars in the sport, NIL always exists. And I can go do my Dr. Pepper commercial if I'm the quarterback at Alabama and I'm a huge star and everyone knows it. But if NIL is found to be used as a recruiting inducement in this new world like it is right now, you've got to be able to come down heavy on these schools. Because believe it or not, most of them would agree to this structure. Most of them would. Because here's what it would do, Chris. It would answer your questions. If we went back to this world, recruiting not only would still be a thing, recruiting would actually revert back to feeling like it used to. Uh, So I'm all for that. I mean, think about it. It's a different world. Players are guaranteed money. But that doesn't affect you and I. Like what happens in the aggregate is if every school is offering the same purse. If every school you go to, you know you're making money, well then we kind of hit the reset button. And the better programs are going to be able to recruit the better athletes because the ones with a more established track record and better facilities and better coaching staffs, blah, 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 are still going to attract the better caliber athletes. But at the end of the day, the formula for winning and recruiting kind of goes back to what it used to be, which never was absent of money. I'll grant you that. But it had a lot more to do with skill in developing relationships and closing and not just offering a kid $700,000 because you're getting whipped in recruiting and you need to make up for it at the 11th hour. That's what recruiting is right now. And that's what NIL being used as an inducement is. So Chris, yeah, I think recruiting would be a thing in this world. I think being a student would still be a thing. And this is a very, very key line of delineation. In this world I'm talking about, we do not detach football. We do not detach that from the other sports. We don't detach it from the universities. I do not think that is the goal currently of even the Greg Sankeys or Tony Petitis. What I do think they've done is they've positioned their conferences to where if that is the route they have to go, they can do it. I know a lot of you demonize these guys. Chris, I know you're not their biggest fans. I am telling you, you can like them or hate them, uh, that is not plan A for them. But it is a contingency that they have. Plan A is let's salvage this and let's face reality, but let's also get a favorable ruling as best we can out of these court cases and let's use that to establish a new world and build a workable new world, one where the NCAA does not disappear, but we streamline the process and we do enter into revenue sharing deals with our players and we do give them money and everyone's a lot more happy. And no one's trying to rail against the system as much as it feels like everyone is right now. And we maintain the concept of the student-athlete. Dare I say we have the true meaning of student-athlete for the first time, maybe ever. Um, When you play 
tight end for Texas, you're actually enrolled at the University of Texas. Because there's another world in the future where if you got that Longhorn logo on your helmet, you're not enrolled at Texas. In fact, the football team you're playing for is merely licensing the University of Texas branding, and they are paying rent to play in Royal Stadium out there in Austin, but it's not an actual appendage of the university anymore. That would be gross. As for the third question, will we see SEC Big Ten teams like Vandy and Rutgers kicked out? I don't know. I do not know uh, because I'm not, I, I don't have the foresight to know what the world will be, how much sway does your network partner have in making those decisions? Like, I don't think the conferences want to do that. I mean, think about this. At some point, you got to have wins. Like, even if you think Rutgers will never do anything, even if you think Vandy will never do anything, man, if I'm Oklahoma, like if I'm, if I'm Georgia, I look around and say, uh, don't we want them here? If I'm Oregon and Ohio State, I want them here. We can't play a tier one team every week, guys. We got to have wins. Somewhere along the way, someone's got to serve as the four or five baked-in wins that we're supposed to have automatically every year. So I don't know. I don't know. But I will say there is a path here for all the doom and gloom crowd out there. There is a path where this still turns out more than okay. You don't have to give up. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. Happy Wednesday morning to everyone. If you're listening on Wednesday, as I said earlier, I was looking at some of our numbers. Bradley, the associate, brings me the numbers, and it looks like we got a ton of people listening to the pod. Not all of you are subscribed. The reason I ask that is because that's the metric that helps us the most. And so I humbly ask, subscribe, please. And if you think you are, just make sure, go double check, because I got caught not subscribed to one of my favorite shows the other day. So shame on me. And I'm not going to shame you. I'm just going to ask you. We move on. Old Atlanta Sports hit me up and said, we've got to change the word committed in recruiting. It's a bad look when they all transfer a year later. Kind of sickening having to see that word all day today. Yes, friends, today is National Signing Day. Once upon a time, kids, if you're new to the college football game, once upon a time, this day was a holiday. I would work Christmas if it meant you gave me this day off. I have faked sick more times than I care to admit, both when I was in school and when I was in the normal workforce on that first Wednesday in February. Now you got the early signing day, and this is kind of an afterthought day. Who knows? Maybe we'll get it back one day. Who knows? Again, whomst amongst us knows. But you know what? This is a soapbox I get on. Every time someone talks about recruiting, and we talk about the word commitment, uh, this day always brings up this conversation. And the conversation is, hey, why do we talk about commitment so much when these guys flip all the time during recruiting, much less when they get on campus, and then all of a sudden they are there as a true freshman, and then they transfer? What's the word commitment anymore? All right, so I'm not even going to do the normal argument here. The normal argument is the argument where someone says, well, coaches move all the time, and no one questions their commitment. I get that point. There's a difference because coaches have contracts and they pay buyouts, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I'm not even going to make that argument. Let's just take that one, package it up, put it off to the side. If you want to make that one, someone else can. I'm not even saying it's invalid. I'm just saying that's not the one I want to go to. What my argument is, is we never should have used the word commitment to begin with to describe what a high school kid is doing. At best, it's like dating. If you're a sophomore or a junior in high school, and the University of Kentucky offers you 
and you're excited and you get the offer and you what they call verbally commit, that's not commitment as we define the word in a normal civil society. It's like test driving a car. It's like going on a couple of dates with someone. That doesn't mean I purchased the car. That doesn't mean I just married this girl. It means that I'm feeling it out. I'm hopeful. I'm at the very least attracted to this thing, or in the other case, this person. And I'm interested to see if it goes anywhere. But I haven't committed, and nor has a high school kid. They're, they're juniors, and then they get to be seniors, and then they get more offers, and maybe they quote-unquote decommit from Kentucky, and then they commit to Clemson. And then there's a lot of drama in the last 48 hours leading up to signing day. Will they stick with Clemson, or will they quote decommit again and flip to Texas A&M? Nothing is commitment even when they sign on the dotted line, even when they enroll at your school. It's not commitment. Or if you want to call it commitment, it would be kind of like a marriage because marriages sometimes end in divorce. I'm not a fan of it at all. We're very we're, we're a very anti-divorce podcast, if you will. In fact, I floated that as a title, the anti-divorce podcast. And management came back and said, uh, what does that have to do with college football? And I said, nothing, but it's a stance. Like I'm trying to make a statement here. And they said, no. I said, oh, oh, but it's okay for me to be the pro-divorce podcast? And they said, no, we don't want you to be anything with divorce in the title. It's terrible for SEO. Please just stick to college football. And I said, okay, fair enough. But anyway, if we want to analogize it like that, yeah, okay, after you sign your scholarship papers, if we want to compare that to divorce, I'll get to that in a second. But before you sign those scholarship papers, there is no commitment. Okay, but somewhere along the way, someone in the recruiting business needed a term to describe what it is when a a junior in high school tells the wide receivers coach at Oklahoma he plans on coming there, and they just called it commitment. He's committing to Oklahoma. And then when a 17-year-old did what 17-year-olds have always done since the beginning of time, and that is change their minds, we started demonizing the kid. Kind of like when March Madness comes around in a couple of months, and inevitably some of you guys are going to try and pick which 15 seed is going to be the two seed, and then the two is going to win, and you get mad at the 15 seed. Get mad at yourself. You're the one with the false sense of expectation. They didn't make you pick them. They're just out here hanging out as a 17 and a half point underdog, just in, enjoying the ride. So I've never liked this whole commitment thing. I've never referred to it as that. And if I have, it's just because I've been brainwashed into subconsciously using that word. But I don't, I don't look at it as commitment. All right, now when you sign your scholarship and you leave and you transfer, that's a little bit different I'm not a fan of it. Like, Sure, I wish in a fantasy world all kids stuck around all four years. That's not the real world. And I wish that there was more commitment, and I wish that we didn't have the current structure that we have, although I do support players being able to move, which sounds kind of hypocritical, but I can support your right to do something and not be a fan of you doing it. Okay, A A lot of adults out there take Disney way too seriously. A lot of people use the word silly. I don't really support either of those things, but I do support your right to live that way if you so choose. But the commitment thing, uh, I wish I wish I could scrap it. When I'm college football commissioner, I may just rule the word commitment illegal. We may just outlaw a word, and I force you to replace that word with something else. And you guys can be the judge of what you want to call it, but it is not commitment. Parker from Birmingham is next up, and he asked, what have you heard about the coaching staff DeBoer has put together in terms of quality at Alabama? Most fans are pretty unfamiliar. Yeah, you sure are. And it's really going to surprise you when you find out he upgraded the staff from what Nick Saban had there. That's not 
ruling on Nick Saban as a head coach, but there is a kind of quiet truth in the college football world and in the SEC that the Alabama coaching staff, from an overall top-to-bottom quality perspective, was not quite on par with what Saban had once had there. It had tailed off in recent years. And so Kalen DeBoer's come in, and even though his trophy case and his career certainly pale in comparison to Nick Saban, as does everyone else, Kalen DeBoer is a top-five head coach in college football. So just man-to-man, you're not suffering just incalculable drop-off at the head coaching position, but in the aggregate, you're picking up quality in the assistant pool. They have brought in some really, really good coaches, and it's not really going to be talked about. I don't think it'll be front-page news. Uh, They are really, really good on field. They are better on field, demonstrably better on field than they were last year. I don't even think that's a debate. Having said that, the big question with DeBoer is going to be talent acquisition. And uh, even though I believe in him, I still think it's a fair question to have about him until he gets a full recruiting and portal cycle under his own belt. But in the interim, Parker, I hear very, very good things. Next up is Jordan. Jordan has his entire face covered in his profile picture, and he asks, why do you hate the YouTube audience? Well, Jordan, I love the YouTube audience, but I've heard a couple of people ask me this lately because I've done some segments, as I do every January and February, when there's more time to talk about more things, where I have challenged a viewer comment or a viewer question. That's not a bad thing. I've even disagreed with the viewers sometimes. That's not a bad thing. I think some of our best content comes from me just interacting with you guys. And since we don't take calls on the show, because our research shows that you're not interested in watching that, I do still find a way to mix the interaction in. What I do is I'll occasionally respond to a tweet or a message board post or just some general things that are being said that I'm aware of and they're on my radar. And half the time, it's what I would have talked about on the show anyway. Why not let the audience be the lead in? But look, if I'm if I'm referencing you, Jordan, and you've said that there is such thing as an off-season, and I won't even say the word out loud because I think college football is a year-round sport and has been for a long time, if you understand how to talk about it and understand the full scope of it, I'm not hating you. We just disagree on something. Uh, once upon a time, there was a point where men and women disagreed on something at 11.30 in the morning and then went to lunch together at noon. Can you imagine? Whomstead have thunk it, right? Now, the one blind spot I have that you guys make me aware of a lot is if you're not familiar with the show, like a lot of you listen and maybe you have your girlfriend in the truck or something like that, and she'll just hear the show sometimes, you tell me she'll listen and say, what's wrong with him? Why is he so mad with the audience? I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I promise. Hey, first off, welcome to the show. And um, do you have any other family members? If so, you should ask them to subscribe because it really helps our numbers around here. And we're happy to have you. Ladies of Pate State, we welcome you. But anyway, I'm not mad, but I do think one of my blind spots is I don't realize it takes folks a few shows. It takes a little while to be immersed in kind of the way we do things here before it's normal to you. So I know if someone walks in the side door in the middle of us doing our thing on this show and they hear it, sometimes it can sound contentious, that's not the case. That's, I mean, that's just how I talk with my friends, which I consider you guys. So I try and format the show no different than if you and I were hanging out at lunch eating barbecue together down at Clearview Barbecue in Columbus, Georgia, soon to open again, I'm told. So don't worry. There is no hatred. All is well here. Although you may dislike me when I do this. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Got him. Got him. Uh, we're back. Okay, here we go from Shrian in New Delhi, India. He says, what do you think about the Michigan exodus? This is not a book in the Bible, kids. It's something that's actually going on right now. And if you're unfamiliar, here's the, uh, here's the broad strokes view. Right now, Jim Harbaugh has gone to the NFL. And he's taken a number of his staffers with him. And some of his other staffers have left to go elsewhere. And Sharon Moore was elevated. Now, if you're a Michigan fan, you just saw your team win a national title. And you saw Sharon Moore, then the offensive coordinator, elevate to interim head coach when Harbaugh was suspended. And he did a good job, and everyone loved it, and it was kumbaya around the campfire. So when Harbaugh leaves, they had a natural plan in place to elevate Sharon Moore to head coach. Everybody applauded. Good for Sharon Moore. He gets his shot. I got no problem with it personally. But one of the biggest talking points around Michigan was this will benefit us because of continuity. And it will benefit us because it will keep the organization together. Well, some Michigan fans are looking and saying, wait a second. Now all these guys are walking out the door. Uh, if we weren't going to get the continuity, was it really in our best interest to elevate Sharon Moore to begin with? This was supposed to be one of the big pros because there are several question marks to giving a guy who's never been a head coach the University of Michigan job as his first job. Uh, so, And that's understandable too, but one of the big trade-offs was supposed to be at least a bunch of folks won't leave. Well, now they're leaving, uh, thus the Michigan exodus. Now, time will tell the impact on this. Sharon Moore may go out and hire his own staff, and it may be gangbusters, man. He may kill it, and it may be Sharon Moore's world up there, and they're a Tier 1 program for years to come in the Big Ten. That could happen. Also, what could happen is you could find out the further Jim Harbaugh gets away from that program, the more and more he was hiding some of the warts internally. And I think a lot of you Michigan folks know what I'm talking about, but nationally, they don't. Uh, nationally, you need to know... The athletic director at Michigan is not very popular internally. Ward Manuel is not very popular uh, it, with the fan base or internally. Let me put it that way. And uh, there is a train of thought that I happen to buy into with Michigan athletics that they have not jumped into the real world. They are still stuck 20 years behind times when it comes to things like NIL. And they think that Michigan brand is going to carry the weight at the end of the day. And they don't have to do what some of these other schools do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And the more a legendary head coach walks out who was probably holding it together and who was probably the last remnants of being able to win with culture as the main selling point, the further he walks away, the quicker and quicker you're going to realize, oh, wow, Harbaugh really was special. Getting all those kids to stick around after they lost back-to-back -back playoff games to come back and win a national title, that was special. It was. It may be the last of an era. It may be the last time you see anything like that. Because let me tell you, in the, in the normal college football world, with the amount that Michigan does or doesn't spend in NIL, that team should have fractured last year. A bunch of those players, that veteran senior-laden team, 
bunch of them are going to go to the NFL now. Uh, in normal world, in normal college football terms, those guys making what they didn't make at Michigan would have just gone elsewhere. And that team would have broken up and you never would have had this run last year. Harbaugh was so good ingraining the culture into them that they actually agreed to stick around, taking far less money than they were going to get on the open market. They won a title. Great story, by the way. Like, I love it. But now, either either Sharon Moore can do that or he can't. And I'm just going to use a default setting here and assume that he can't. Because I don't think hardly anyone can do that anymore. And uh, those guys came in together and they were committed. And that's a very, very unique bond. I don't know that every future Michigan class is going to have that. I know it's kind of popular and it's idealistic to think they will. Uh, because every fan base thinks their kids and their organizations made up of different, unique, right stuff. Hopefully, for Michigan's sake, you're right. I don't think so. I, I think they're in the same world as Ohio State and as Georgia and as USC and everyone else. And they're going to find out we're behind the times here. And Sharon Moore or you know Brian Kelly or, who, or Chris Kleiman or whoever we would have brought in. We're going to have to get with the times in NIL, and they're not there right now. And Michigan's not a poverty program, but they are a program where you know, some, of, some of the old heads have been very resistant to jump on the conveyor belt of modern college football. And I don't blame them because they're not in love with it. They don't really like it. But you know, there are a lot of boosters begrudgingly participating elsewhere, just the way of the world right now. Maybe it won't always be that way, but it is right now. Randy is up next from Asheville, North Carolina. He said, I need some help. My best friends and I attend a game every year for our annual guys trip. Awesome tradition. The issue is we're having trouble picking this year. What have been your favorite games or stadiums you've attended? Any recommendations are welcome. Well, the first thing you have to do, Randy, is you have to make sure you don't have any weddings on your calendar. And the next thing you need to be able to confirm is that you can go any time of year. Because if there are times that are blocked off, that could impact my answer. The third thing you need to ask is, does distance matter? Or could you go anywhere you want to? I mean, how free is this guy's trip? And fourthly, a lot of prerequisites, I know. Fourthly, do you want to go to a home stadium or could you go to a neutral site? Now, as you know, we're usually opposed to neutral site games at all costs, but there are some exceptions. And one of them that I would recommend anyone go to at least once is the Red River Shootout, called by no other name on this show, and that is OU versus Texas in Dallas. Cotton Bowl's awesome. I love it. I have gifts of myself at that place. That's how awesome it is. But can you also imagine, Terry, if you go to that game this year, both teams going to be probably ranked in the top 10, I would imagine, and you're also going to get to see that game in its first year as an SEC game. It's just going to be wild. But it already is wild. They don't need that SEC moniker to make that game awesome. So please don't misunderstand me. Another one, if you're not so inclined to take the trip to Dallas, is Ohio State plays at Oregon this year. And Oregon's an awesome place to go anyway. But Ohio State versus Oregon, and that's a Big Ten game. And I don't think that's late in the year. I think it's earlier in the year. That one could be awesome too. Uh, Georgia plays at Alabama this year. Like There are some big-time games. It's college football, so we have it every year. But there are some big-time home campus games in the first half of the season. But man, I'm telling you now, if I were to circle one, I'd love to go to all those. And selfishly, I probably will go to all those. But if if you can tell me you only go to one, that OU Texas game takes a backseat to no other game. I mean that when I say it. It takes a backseat to no other game. You guys know me. You know I choose the game I want to go to every week, and I go. 
because I'm blessed enough to have CBS let me do that. But that OU Texas game has become one of, if not my favorite games to go to. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Up next, up next, up next, it is Ken in Charleston, South Carolina. Ken asked, is it possible for the ACC or Big 12 to have more than just their auto-bid teams in the playoff? Yes, yes, absolutely. So Ken is asking, with this new world where we have 12 teams, and as far as I can tell, we're going to have the 6-6 six and six format, Ken is asking, okay, we got 12 teams in the playoff. Six of them are going to be conference champs, the highest-ranked conference champs. So you figure... The ACC and the Big 12 champ are in using that. He's asking those other six teams, those six at-large bids, is there a chance there's a second ACC team or a second Big 12 team? Of course there is. I mean, it's more likely than not. If FSU wins the ACC and they beat Miami or Clemson, or who, do they still have divisions there? I can't remember who scrapped divisions and who didn't. But whoever they play, I mean, if it's a one-loss team and that team's second loss comes in the conference title game, chances are, whether that's Kansas State in the Big 12, whether that's a a surprise Virginia Tech team in the ACC, chances are that team's still in the top 12. And chances are they're going to the playoff. So, yeah, Ken, I absolutely think that's going to be the case. Now, I am also of the opinion, don't get me wrong, that the SEC and the Big 10 are going to dominate this thing, but not to the point where it chokes out the ability for any of the other conferences to get more than one team in. I don't believe it'll be that pronounced. Uh, Let's go to Council Bluffs, Iowa. BT is there. He said, do you think any of the teams in new conferences can win them? If so, who? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, look at me, Mr. Positive today. A bunch of yeses. Oregon can win the Big Ten. Um, USC, so I wouldn't pick them to win the Big Ten. I think there's at least a year's adjustment they're going to have to have. But if I'm wrong about that, USC does have a very workable schedule. They don't play Oregon. They don't play Ohio State. They go to Michigan and Washington, but both of those teams are in rebuild years. They get Penn State at home, I believe. So it sets up pretty well for USC. Now, again, I think they're going to have some struggle adjusting a lot of the things they're trying to adjust defensively and philosophically with that program. But if they're ahead of schedule... If they're able to do that over the course of one spring and one summer, they could win it. Um, 
in the SEC, there I could see Texas win the SEC. I could see a world where if Oklahoma gets their offensive line figured out, they challenge. I mean, this is not out of the realm of possibility at all. I think uh, there's a perception that these new teams are going to have to really, really adjust when they enter these conferences, and that's true. But I heard Lanning say the other day, and if it was a fake quote, it's still valid. He said, I think the Big Ten's going to have to adjust to us too. Well, he's right about that. I mean, he is. I don't. I don't know how else you present that. He's he's right about that. It would be correct if Steve Sarkeesian said that about Texas, if Venables said it about Oklahoma. So that's a two-way street. Hey, also, let's not forget now, we've got new teams coming into the Big 12. Utah absolutely could win the Big 12. Uh, what if SMU walked into the ACC and surprised everyone? Again, this is not a prediction show because it's February. Mima always said, never predict before Valentine's Day. She also said that about Arbor Day and Meemaw even said it about Labor Day. Meemaw just was against predictions. But I told her, Meemaw, at some point now, at some point we have to go on the record. Folks have to have a way to dunk on you in December. And so we agreed, I think, uh, second week of August. I think that's what me and Meemaw decided on for predictions. But yeah, I could see um, I could see a prop bet at FanDuel where they uh, put out odds, a yes or no bet. Will a new team win a Power 4 league this year. And I'm interested what the odds would be there. If you did that, you don't have to guess which one. If you did the all the newcomers combined, ACC, Big 12, SEC, Big 10, yes or no, will a new team win one of these conferences this year? What would the odds be on that one? Very interesting. Maybe get a hypothetical spit out for you before we do the Thursday show. Maybe. That's not a promise. Maybe. Let us now go to Wadmalaw Island, South Carolina. Beautiful this time of year. The question is, with Missouri receiving $62 million in an anonymous donation, what are some other schools that may have massive, untapped resources that could make them competitive? Dude, everybody. Everybody's got untapped resource. All the major programs, I don't know if people realize this, all the major programs have boosters that can afford to do this. Okay, not $62 million, but you don't need $62 million. Like right now, everybody's freaked out because they think Ohio State just spent $13 million on a class. Hey, let's say that's true. You're telling me that if I went to Tennessee or if I went to North Carolina or if I went to anywhere like Oklahoma State, you're telling me that there aren't boosters that could kick in $20 million? If they wanted to, of course they could. So every one of them is my answer. Every one of them has untapped potential if that's what it takes to sign a class. Every one of them has that. I think that you may be so caught off guard by that number at Missouri that you may not realize there are others out there who have either done that already or who are contemplating doing that. For instance, I'm aware of an example right now of a major booster with a major program who has a major donation on the table, but he wants it earmarked, not for football, he wants it earmarked for a specific position. He's saying, if this is my money, and I'm going to give it to you, and it's in the seven-figure range, if I'm going to give it to you, I want it to be spent on a quarterback. And he may even want some say in which quarterback they go and get. Isn't that fun? Isn't that a lovely world to have to exist in if you're a head coach? Gross. Mo is next up from Forney, Texas. 
He said, is Ryan Day giving up play calling and taking this approach because he knows behind the scenes his job could be on the line next season? No, I think he's doing it because it's in the best interest of his team. This is going to be a boring answer, but I don't think that Ryan Day sat there and did a self-assessment and said, all right, well, I'd love to keep calling plays, but since my job could be on the line next year, I'm going to go make a change at coordinator. What I think he did do is say, I would love to keep calling plays, but I don't think it gives us the best chance to get where we want to go. So even if I'm totally comfortable in my job security, I'm going to do what I think gives us the best chance to win. Now, I know that sounds like coach speak. I know that sounds like I'm being a mouthpiece for coaches. I'm not. I just think that's how Ryan Day thinks about that. I think that's how any legitimate coach thinks about that. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't coaches out there that make moves in an attempt to save their job. I do think that Billy Napier right now is making some staff moves because he does know, yeah, I probably have to do something different this upcoming year or I could lose my job. But that doesn't mean he wouldn't have made the moves anyway. I don't know. Could mean that, could not mean that. But in Ryan Day's case, I don't think he's making that move because of some job security issue. I think he's making the move and you know maybe having to make another move here in the not-too-distant future, depending on how staff moves go, because he feels like it gives him the best chance to win. That's the long and short of it. All right, do me a couple favors. Make sure you're following on all the social channels, at Late Kick Josh. We have a lot of fun there, and it extends well beyond just what you see and hear on the show. And then again, third time, make sure you subscribe to the pod. That's all I need you to do. I am very emphatic about it for a reason. It helps us out a whole lot. You don't have to pay anything. And the way that you make sure you never have to pay anything is make sure you are subscribed. And then get five of your friends to do the exact same thing. And if you don't have five friends, that's okay. That's okay. Enjoy your silence and independence. But, you know, go get five strangers to do it. I'm sending this off to Bradley, the associate, to be edited. It'll be out later today, at which point you'll be listening to it because this is not live. So for Bradley, the associate, I appreciate you guys so much. We'll be back live Thursday night with Late Kick Live over on the YouTube channel, and it'll be in your podcast feed Friday morning. Until then, enjoy the rest of your National Signing Day, and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.